So I read the story recently of a husband and wife whose relationship was so conflicted that they became estranged, separated. And, you know, this is what happens when these kind of things happen to people. They end up kind of drifting apart, moving apart. In fact, one person moved all the way across the country. The other moved to the other side of the country. And they lived in different cities and started kind of new lives without each other. But after years of conflict and years of silence, you know, the, the husband returned on business to the place where they had once lived. And while he was there, it just so happened that he had time to go to the cemetery where their son had been buried because their son had died years before. And the husband is standing there at the grave of his son and he's reminiscing the good times that they had, playing catch in the yard, things like that. And he's just sort of lost in his memories when all of a sudden he's startled by someone who approaches him from behind. And he turns to see his estranged wife standing there right next to him. And there was a moment of awkwardness where he thought, I need to just go away. I need to just get away from the conflict or whatever is going to be said here may not end up well, so maybe I'll just leave. And, and then she thought, well, I, I didn't know he was going to be here, so should I even approach or should I just go and stay apart? But what happened was that they had a common interest in that grave. And so instead of avoiding each other, instead of walking away, they reached out and they held one another's hands over the grave of their deceased son. And they were reconciled. They were reconciled at the death of their son. Now that is the story that might make for a good ending to a Hallmark movie. But the true story of the Bible and of human existence is that we are all estranged, separated from God because of sin. Yet God's plan, this is so good, God's plan was to reconcile us through the death of his son. Jesus took the consequences of our sin on himself through his death on the cross in order to make peace with God possible for us. This was the exclamation point on Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, which we studied over the last two weeks in our series on Colossians. And if you look at verse 20, that is the exclamation point on that set of five verses that Jesus made peace through his blood, the Lord of all creations, also the Lord of the church, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, Jesus is also the Lord of the cross. And as we pick up in chapter 1, verses 21 through 23 today, we're going to see how Paul takes the truth that Jesus is the Lord of the cross and he zooms in to show us the personal difference the cross makes in our lives as we are reconciled to God through the death of his son. So let's read this together. If you just want to follow along in your Bible in Colossians chapter 1 or maybe on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you, I'll read this for us from verse 21 to 23. It says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you 
by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Colossians 1, chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. These three verses, they paint a picture of Christianity and honestly, which is hard to find yourself. It's hard to see yourself in this picture of Christianity. You know, you might think, if you look at verse 21, that that's describing sort of like a supervillain, right? Hostile in your thinking and evil actions. And you go, well, I'm not a supervillain against God. So, you know, that, that's not me. And then you read verse 22 at the beginning and it kind of sounds like a superhero. And you go, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not totally holy. I'm not without fault. I mean, I'm not blameless. I mean, I've got, I'm messed up still, you know, so that really doesn't describe me either. And if you keep reading in verse 22 and you see the part that we ought to be steadfast and not shifting, you're probably thinking to yourself like, man, I've blown that plenty of times already. I have not been steadfast. I have not been faithful. I have not been unshifting. If that's you, you might tend to tune out here. But I'm going to invite you to tune in because the cross is more powerful than you thought. The cross is more powerful than you thought. First, the cross changes your life condition, right? The, the position you have in relationship with God, the cross changes that. Second, the cross changes your life commission, your purpose in relationship to this world. And the order of these two things is critical, right? The order is critical because this is still one of the biggest mistakes people make when they think about God. Most people believe that if their good outweighs their bad, then maybe, just maybe, they'll be found acceptable to God. But the cross tells a totally different story. Jesus, through his death on the cross, makes it possible to become accepted by God. That's your condition. The cross makes it possible to become accepted by God through faith, which then results in a life of purpose or your commission. Faith means that we no longer live for God's acceptance, but rather we live from God's acceptance. You see the difference there? You see, Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself so that you could join him in what he does not want to do by himself. This is the Christian life. This is the power of the cross. The first difference the cross makes in your life, as we see here in Colossians chapter 1, is the cross makes you, in your life a change in condition, a change in your life condition. Paul hinted at this. If you want to flip back to chapter 1 and look at verse 13, you see the kind of difference Jesus makes where he says of the Colossians that, that they were rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. So for the believer in Jesus, the cross is the dividing point in the timeline of your life. Regardless of how you feel you're doing spiritually, the cross is the dividing point in the timeline of the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. The cross changes your condition 
according to God. So just like verses 21 and 22 portray, let's look at this. It says in verse 21, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds expressed in your evil actions. So if you're thinking about your own timeline, you ought to think before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, this is your reality. Once you were, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. Well, to be alienated simply means to be far away, to be foreign. If I asked you to think of someone who you know who is far away from God, just kind of get that picture in your mind right now. Think of someone you know who is far away from God. Chances are the person you're thinking of, the people who would top your list, are the people who maybe don't go to church. Maybe it's the people who have been in a lot of trouble in their lives. Maybe it's the people who struggle with addiction. Or maybe it's the people who live an alternative lifestyle. And you're probably picturing these people thinking that, oh yeah, those people must be far from God. They look different and they act different, right? And you would pick them because we are so convinced that our condition before God is based on our behavior. Like this thinking has just gotten so ingrained in our minds that our condition before God is based on our behavior that it affects the way we see ourselves and affects the way we see other people, that we would think some are closer to God than others because of how they live. But this just simply isn't true. You know, East Texas is full of really good folks. You guys are some of them, I hope. East Texas is full of really good people. Just down-home good old boys and gals, right? Moral, conservative, for the most part, people. And you would think that because of that, because we're full of decent people, that East Texans would maybe be closer to God than, I don't know, say a group of people you might pick out of like L.A. or New York City or London, England. If that's your way of thinking... You've got it wrong. Because behavior is not what causes our condition before God to change. It makes this kind of a hard pill to swallow when we think that even East Texans are enemies of God without Christ. In World War I, there is one country that remained neutral. Uh, it was the country Switzerland. They had made this pact you know, years before that they would remain a politically and, uh, and, and, you know, at times of war, a neutral country, no matter what happened. And, and with World War I, I mean, it was all hands on deck. Like everybody was trying to pitch in to fix this thing because it was like the world was going to end, except for Switzerland. Somehow, miraculously, they sort of stayed out of it. They sort of remained on neutral ground. And the reality is that there's a spiritual war and the only way to be allied with God is to be in Christ. It's because of the cross. You know people who don't appear to be on the side of evil. You know them. They, they, by all accounts of behavior and the way they look and act, they don't appear to be on the side of evil. And you might think that that bodes well for them. But the reality is there is no spiritual Switzerland. There are no neutral zones 
in this spiritual war. Even a moral person without Christ is an enemy of God. That means even you, on your timeline, before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, because of what he did on the cross for you, you were an enemy of God. This was your reality. Once you were alienated, hostile in your minds and evidenced by the evil actions, whether it appeared that way or not, that was your reality. But the cross changes everything. Verse 22 goes on to say, but now. So we see the, the once, like once you were, but the cross, the dividing line in your timeline the cross, it says, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. This is the great exchange. We often think of the cross as Jesus taking our sin, but that's only a part, partial picture of what actually transpired on the cross. What Jesus accomplished on the cross was not just to take on our sin, but he accomplished the complete reconciliation, meaning that he not only took on our sin, but he also imparted to us his righteousness when we see him and approach him by faith. So it is a both and. Both things have to happen because when you make a payment on debt, the account must be credited, right? That's what happens. So Jesus took our sin, yes, but he also gave us his righteousness. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 of this. He said that he, Jesus, made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. That's the first part. He took our sin on himself. The second part is this, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Boy, that's a different way to see yourself, isn't it? That we might become the righteousness of God. See, the present spiritual reality for the believer in Jesus is righteousness before God. Meaning your past has been forgiven. You're no longer an enemy. It also means that your future is secure. And so the timeline continues with the cross being the dividing point. Verse 22 goes on to say, in order to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. This is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. In order to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. You ever had to become presentable for something you ever come in from playing outside as a kid and your mom says, there's company coming over, you gotta get presentable. <laughs> or maybe it's the house is a wreck and you think, okay, we gotta fix this, we gotta clean this up, it's gotta be presentable. Picture your own life, trying to become presentable to God. You're rushing around trying to clean things up, but you know what happens when you're trying to become presentable. Like you kind of cut corners a little bit. You sort of push things into a closet or you sweep things under a rug. Or it's like what happened at our house recently. We had some people come in and clean our house for the first time ever. And it was like this amazing experience. We walked in and we're like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. Yeah, but it was funny because on little tables, like next to couches around our house were just piles of toys. And it was things that they had pulled out from under the couch. 
We're like, oh, that's where that went, you know? And sure enough, if we make an effort to try to become presentable, we're usually always just pushing something out of the way. We're not really dealing with it. We're just hiding it for a little while. And the reality is we will never become truly presentable to God because God sees all. So what does Jesus do on the cross? He says, you don't have to strive to become presentable. I will make you presentable, truly presentable to God. I'm going to make you holy. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a purity that you could never achieve on your own. That's what that word holiness means, that you would be pure. And then he says, I'm going to make you faultless, which this is a a sacrificial term, actually. This is what the same term that would have been applied to, say, a lamb that was going to be marked, earmarked for slaughter or sacrifice in the temple. It would be faultless. It would be without blemish. Well, we're full of blemishes, aren't we? We're not worthy to be presented to God, but Jesus, through his death on the cross, makes us presentable. He changes us. He changes our condition to become worthy to stand before God. Blameless is is a legal term. That would have meant that when you come and stand before a judge, you've been accused of a crime, the judge will stand there and say, case dismissed. This person is unaccusable. Not because of our own effort, but because of what Jesus did for us. In fact, no part of this new condition before God because of the cross could be achieved by effort alone. It's not based on our personal conduct. It's based on our faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. The power of the cross. And just like the Colossians got this reminder from Paul, man, we need this reminder on a daily basis. Because it's so easy for us to slip back into the mindset that our conduct changes our condition before God. But the reality we have to learn is that our condition before God is what ought to inform our conduct. Which leads us to the second thing that the cross does practically and personally for your life. Not only does the cross change your life condition, it also changes your life commission. Verse 23 I want to read this for you. It says, If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. We'll stop there. Paul is describing a new way of life for the Colossians as participants in the good news about Jesus. But just as one misconception about God is that we can earn his favor by our actions, another misconception that's equally destructive is the misconception that we can lose his favor by our actions. And at first glance, when you read verse 23, that word, if, stands out to us. And it probably stands out to you because of an inner sense of guilt that you know you're not blameless. You know you're not faultless. You don't feel worthy. And so every time we see the word if, we go, oh, there's a caveat. I really am. I'm not going to fit. 
oh man, I, I knew it. Things sounded too good to be true, but now there's this expectation and there's no way I'm going to be able to sustain that expectation, so I might as well give up. But that's not at all what Paul is trying to say. We think he's giving a caveat to this whole change in condition thing because of the word if, if indeed, as he says. It's as if their salvation depends on their behavior. But Paul is not casting doubt on the Colossians' conversion. He's not casting doubt on their commitment to Jesus Christ. He's actually saying the opposite. He's saying, indeed, he is confident that their conversion will result in a new way of life. It must. Because a change in condition has that effect on people. That to be truly made right before God, to understand the implications that you were an enemy of God, but on the cross, Jesus took on all of your sins so that then he could impart to you and impute to you all of his righteousness so that one day he could present you holy and blameless and faultless before God. That is a reality that stirs something in you that you cannot ignore. And if you have ignored it, maybe it hasn't become a reality yet, but it can be. So he's stating his confidence in them. They have to change this way. He's sure that they would live this new way of life. Friar Stark was a British explorer, uh, explored all over Asia. And uh, lots of the discoveries that the Brits were able to make about Asia came because of this young woman. And she observed this on her travels. She said, there can be no happiness in life if the things we believe in are different from the things we do. There can be no happiness if the things we believe in are different than the things we do. And that's just some observation that she made about how the world works. Well, that points to the reality that when God changes your condition, the expectation and the really what must happen is that you change, you see a change in your commission, your purpose. Verse 23 describes a life lived for God, not built on what you can accomplish but on what Christ has accomplished on the cross. In fact, the word pictures here are helpful. The word grounded, it refers to a sure foundation. You ever seen a big slab being poured? They do all the dirt work, they stir things up, they bring in dirt, they they pour, they stake it out and they pour it and you go, yeah, that is sure, that'll hold. Jesus is our sure foundation. And the word steadfast, it refers to an immovable structure. It reminds me of the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. If you don't recognize the verse, maybe you'll recognize the song that goes along with it. Everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house of the rock, on the rock. Are you hearing it now? Wise man built his house upon the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. So to be grounded and steadfast 
is to build your life on and with Jesus as the foundation and structure of everything. But then the third challenge is to not shift away from the hope of the gospel, which simply means that once you build that house of faith, you live in it. You're coming and you're going. Everything you do is informed by your faith in Jesus Christ. You build that house of faith on his foundation. He is the immovable structure that walls you in into this new life and then you live in it. And that's an enjoyable life because it doesn't matter what challenges you face, you can be confident. And there's joy in that. There's freedom in that. So Jesus is saying, live this new life. Your commission, your purpose is changing. The way you have built and structured your life is different because of your newfound condition before God as holy and, and blameless and faultless. And now you can live differently because salvation is not simply a transaction with Christ, but the beginning of transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Most people treat salvation like it is a deposit into a safety deposit box. You guys know what safety deposit boxes are? They keep them over at the bank. You know, you can go in and you just, you make a deposit into this box and you're linked to it and you get a key or you keep a key somewhere at the desk or whatever it is. What most people do with safety deposit boxes is they make a deposit into that safety deposit box and the next time anyone sees that deposit is when you die. That's usually what happens. And most people treat salvation that way, that it's just a transaction with Jesus. I prayed a prayer. I'm good to go. Put it in the vault. I'll see you when I die. But that is not the picture of the cross. The cross is more powerful than that. The better way to think of it is that the cross makes you the investment. You are the investment. God has invested in you at great cost to himself, the cost of the cross. And so the cross changes the way that you live. You no longer live for yourself, but now you live to grow his investment, right? To grow his kingdom. You become a servant of what God is doing, which according to the end of verse 23 is proclaiming the gospel in all creation under heaven. Now you might think, how much could I possibly do for God's kingdom? Like I came in today thinking, I think I'm okay with God because I'm a pretty good person, but now you're telling me I'm an enemy of God, except there's good news that because of the cross, I can be a friend of God, that I can be transformed into the likeness of Christ, having his purity and his blamelessness, his imperfect, his perfection, his worthiness before God. All those things can be applied to my life. I get that, but I'm still me. And I just don't think I can make that big of a difference for the kingdom of God. What's so interesting about verse 23 is how Paul describes himself. He says, of the gospel that has been going out through the world, he says, I, Paul, have become a servant of it. 
Now, he's not just saying his name again to remind them of what his name is. He says, I, Paul, as a way of emphasizing the unlikelihood of his own story. He's going, I, me, yeah, me, me, Paul. Like, if you knew me, if you've heard about me, it would be shocking to you that I'm writing you this letter. It would be shocking to you that God would use me at all. He's saying, yeah, the gospel's going over the whole earth, and even me, even God can use me. Paul, I was an enemy of God. Not only that, but his evil actions were that he was persecuting the church. If you loved Jesus, Paul hated you. If you lived for Jesus, Paul tried to kill you. So he's going, Man, you think you can't make a difference in the kingdom of God? God can use even me because of the cross. The cross changes your condition, but it also changes your life commission. God can use even you. So the question that we have to figure out today is, where do you find yourself in this? Are you facing the reality that you are far from God without Christ? The cross is for you. Are you coming back to the spiritual reality that your salvation is secure? The cross is for you. Are you recognizing that your belief in Christ must result in a life lived for Christ? The cross is for you. The cross changes your spiritual condition before God and it changes your life commission. The cross is that powerful And if you think you are exempt, listen to what Romans chapter 8 says in verse 32. It says, He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. For us all. So where are you today? 